So this morning, well, first of all, let me say this. Uh, I have a wonderful congregation. This week I have received cards and notes and uh, I have to tell you that it just warms my heart. I feel so appreciated by all of you. Um, anything I could say in an expression of gratitude would fall short for what I'm actually feeling here in my heart for you. Um, truly one of the great loves of my life has been to be a pastor. And you guys have just made it an incredible joy for me. And uh, the outpouring of the cards and well wishes this week has uh, just really warmed my heart. And so I need to say thank you. Yes, ma'am. Join me in Pastor Appreciation Day, the greatest pastor that we have. Yeah, I, it took me a little while to figure out what was going on because, you know, these cards and notes were coming in and, and people were leaving me little surprises here and there on my table. And I was thinking, what is going on? And then I figured out when I saw something come across my uh, email stream that it was Pastor Appreciation Day or whatever that was coming up. And so I put two and two together. I'm, I'm, I'm not real smart, but I can lift heavy things. <laughs> But uh, thank you, because uh, it has warmed my heart, and those little things just make, uh, well, gosh, it, it, just, it just makes this job so, well, it's not a job, is it? It's a calling, and I appreciate you, and I know I'm taking way too much time with this, but... I just can't find the words to express my gratitude to all of you. So thank you very much. With that, let's talk about uh, what Paul says to us in Philippians this week. As you know, we have been in Philippians for uh, a couple of weeks now, and there's just so much good information for us as the church. Uh, it's good to review who we are as the body of Christ. It's good for us to review who we are as the church. Uh, in this community and y'all do such a great job with being the church and Paul offers some encouragement and advice in Philippians that I think we can all uh, use especially in times like these uh, you read this passage from Philippians 4 if you're following along in your Bible and you realize that things in the church the local church the the larger Methodist church, things that go on in, in the universal church, all the different denominations, are not so different today than they were back then. The technology's changed a little bit, but by and large, we're human, and we suffer from some of the same things that the church in Philippi did. Listen to what Paul writes in Philippians 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. They're the words I was looking for just a few minutes ago. You are my joy and crown. Paul says, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. 
Now, then he begins talking about two uh, women of the church who were leaders in the church in Philippi who apparently had a disagreement of some kind. And he doesn't exactly tell us what the disagreement was. He just says they were at odds over something. And let me tell you, it wasn't that they were at odds about any kind of theological question. It wasn't that they were at odds about anything having to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, it was probably something like they didn't like the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. One of them thought it was, should be green and the other one thought it should be red. It was something that wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with salvation. It just had to do with division in the church. You had team Iuda, which is one of the women, and you had team Sadice. And so these different factions were divided over something. And lo and behold, here we are in 2020, and we have division in the church. It happens. And so he says he's exhorting uh, the church in Philippi. He says, I urge Euda and I urge Sadice to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things you learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So like I said, it's not exactly clear who these two ladies, Iuda and Sadice, were. But what's been made clear here is that there was a division between them. What's also clear is that they were believers who worked alongside Paul in the spreading of the gospel and that Paul was personally invested in each of them. They were the ministers of the faith in Philippi. And he wanted them to work things out for the good of the church. I mean, when you think of division in the church, who ever heard of such a thing? Now, one of the biggest divisions in the church occurred 503 years ago this month. It was the Reformation, and it began in 1517, so three years ago would have been the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. We're here in 2020, so 503 years ago, Martin Luther, who was an Augustinian monk, 
posted his 95 thesis on the Wittenberg church door. You've heard the story. And there's really a couple of things about this moment in history where Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the church door. A lot of people have a misconception that this was something explosive, that it rendered the church in two, like the ripping of the veil in the temple in Jerusalem, something to that magnitude. And the thing is, division in the church is very seldom explosive. No. It's like the frog in the warm pot as you slowly turn up the heat. And before you know it, before the frog knows it, he's in boiling water and he doesn't know how he got there. And so when Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the church door, it wasn't like he lit the fuse to a powder keg. It was not this big explosive moment that caused a big reaction. You have to understand that the church in, in Wittenberg, the door opened up to the plaza. And so if you had something that you wanted the town to read and be aware of, if you had a notice of any kind, you would tag it to the church door. Imagine that drove the pastor there crazy. But when he posted his thesis to the church door in the same fashion that Otto, the, the swine farmer, if he had a pig for sale, would have gone up and posted a, a notice, Otto's pigs, uh, hog for sale, you know, call Otto. In that fashion, this notice was posted on the door and you have to understand Luther's background. He was a Catholic priest. He was in the, the order of the Augustinians. He was loyal to the Pope. He didn't want the church to split over these theses. He just wanted his church to reform, to be better, to, to abandon some of the corrupt practices that always tend to happen in organizations when there's money and power involved. He wanted things to be better for his church. And you have to understand that always been the church. Not several denominations, but just one, the church. They didn't even call themselves the Catholic Church. They were just the church. And so Luther never meant for that to change. So what happened that caused this thing to change? One of the things was that Luther was advocating that the word of God should be preached in the native tongue of the people. Can you imagine? The mass was always spoken in Latin. The scriptures were always read in Latin. And Luther wanted to bring the mass to the people. He wanted to bring the word of God to the people. And the thing that caused these 95 theses to start the Reformation was that unlike dissidents who had come before Luther, now there was this thing called the printing press. So eventually the theses that were tacked to the door that were probably largely unnoticed by the higher-ups in the Catholic Church, all of a sudden the printed version was being distributed widely. And so eventually these theses got out and people began to align with Luther's idea and the higher-ups in the church just couldn't have that. 
This lofty language, the word of God, was not for the people to be reading on their own. This was something that had to come from clergy. Well, long story short, Luther was excommunicated in 1521. And the same year, he begins to translate the Bible into German. Makes sense, because he's German. In 1522, he introduces German worship services in Wittenberg, much to the chagrin of the Catholic Church. In 1525, William Tyndale begins to print the New Testament in English. He's burned at the stake for doing that. In 1532, Henry VIII declares that the king, not the pope, is the church, is the head of the church in England. And now all of a sudden we have this break with the Roman Catholic Church. And now instead of one church, we have two. Division in the church. And once there were two churches, now it's open season. And John Calvin has this Protestant movement and he gains momentum and others uh, denominations spring up as arguments over doctrine and theology and the color of the carpet and the sanctuary. All these things cause divisions in what was once one church. Now we have many. And so here we are today. And if, that, if the division in the church weren't enough, it's an election year which serves to further divide us. And the United Methodist Church is in this very real struggle. And there's talk of division in the church to the point of separation for one faction or another over these issues of same-sex marriage and ordination of homosexual clergy. These are things that are dividing the church. Now, to be sure, there are discussions about things that divide us doctrinally, theologically, emotionally, spiritually. And as we've had, as we have discussions about these issues that divide us as church leaders prepare for these conferences that may very well decide what the Methodist church looks like in years to come. We as the church, the body of Christ here in Splendora, have to remember a few things about all that's going on out there. First of all, as far as the church is concerned, this is not our first rodeo. The Methodist church, the church, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church has endured division before, lots of division over lots of issues. Secondly, the United Methodist Church has been divided and reformed and divided and reformed countless times and ways over the years, over many issues. Thirdly, we should never forget that the source of peace that has always brought the church to the other side of these episodes of division, and make no mistake about it, the, the church, with all of her faults, born from the humans that make up the church. The church, regardless of all that stuff, is still divinely mandated, divinely authorized, and it will continue to be that way until Jesus returns or calls us home, whichever occurs first. Humans have this remarkable ability to mess up a good thing. 
But don't let yourselves think that we are so powerful that we have the ability to destroy, tear down, or undermine something that has been established and ordained by God himself. Short answer, we don't have the power to destroy God's church. We'd like to think we do, but we do not. Paul's words to Iuda and Sedice are just as true today as they were when he spoke them to them. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Two things. Rejoice in the Lord. And let your gentleness, your gentle spirit, some versions say, your loving kindness, let that be the thing that you show to everyone. Because God is near. Don't worry about things, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Be thankful for what God has already done in your life and the life of the church. In that spirit of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When you do that, do what, Pastor? When you choose to rejoice, when you choose to let your kind spirit be the thing that shows forth, shines to the community that we serve and to one another, when you do that, and when you pray with a spirit of thanksgiving, those three things, what happens? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, it's crazy as all get out down here, Lord. But his peace is the thing that dominates your experience, regardless of what's going on. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then as this last bit of advice to us as the church, don't focus on the negativity and the bad stuff going on in the world. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing to God, pleasing to God, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about those things instead of the negativity. Think about those things. When the, when the news is giving you nothing but bad news, use the off switch and start thinking about the good things that God has given you. Then verse 9, keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. That's good advice. Somebody posted something on Facebook. I'm not sure who it was. 
but it was a picture of this scary looking rope bridge, you know, the kind you see in the Amazon with where you're running from uh, uh, the, the native peoples and they've got spears and blow darts and you're trying to get away from them across this wide chasm and there's this, this rickety rope bridge and it's the only thing between uh, you and freedom and so you run across it and they start to cut the ropes that hold it and eventually one side swings down and you have, you've seen the action movies, right? Anyway, that kind of bridge, and in the middle of it is the biggest crocodile you've ever seen, and it says, I'm pretty sure that this is the bridge to 2021. You can dwell on that image of your future if you want to. And it's funny when it comes to us in a meme, but let's face it, a lot of us are feeling like we don't know what October is going to bring. We don't know what November and December are going to bring. We're not even sure if we will indeed have a happy new year if we focus on the worldview. And so Paul is telling us don't focus on the worldview. Don't be conformed to the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, change your thinking and dwell on all these good things that Paul lists out for us in verse 8. Keep on doing the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.